The Daily Rios, for Monday, September 24th, 2012. Okay, this is one of those I wasn't going to go there, but episodes. Uh, I originally planned on doing a happy birthday Chuck Jones episode. His birthday was last Friday, Friday, September 21st. What would have been his 100th birthday. I'm a huge, I love Looney Tunes, and it was Chuck Jones's birthday, and I missed it, and I apologize. And then I found out that today is Jim Henson's birthday. He would have been 76. And all these things could have coalesced into a really fun episode and a lighthearted episode for this Monday week, start of the new week. And uh, But then something happened, and I read a review because I love Twitter, and I like to see what's going on in the world. So I'm not even going to give voice to the review, and I put that in quotes, that set me off because uh, I don't want to give that person any more promotion than they they think they probably already deserve. Let's just boil it down to this. Uh, The topic for today is my continued disdain for certain kinds of comics criticism, specifically online comics criticism. I'm blaming Chris Whitfield, Sir Nightheart, on Twitter for this because, as I said, I had some other topics in mind for today. So there I was, reacting to this review, which shall not be named on Twitter, thinking about what else I might do for the Daily Rios, and you know, I just wrote on Twitter, I, uh, I said, if you call yourself a comics reviewer and I, I know more about what you don't like than what you do, you're doing it wrong. I got a bunch of replies, one being from Chris, who asked if that was today's topic, and I, of course, initially said no. He went on to write, I'm in total agreement with you, either as a fan or a creator myself. I know not to take everything so personal. A writer has different takes, ideas, motivations, thoughts, experiences, and these affect the product, story, never understood the joy of hate on comics, characters, or creators just because the story or idea didn't appeal to you. Comics are so vast. Bravo, Chris. I I, I love what you wrote there. So all of this made me think of a video I came across years ago, and I remember sharing online as well, Uh, not concerning comics, not talking about comics at all, but so, so very apt to this idea that I'm talking about. So I'm going to push aside what I was going to do today, and I'm going to present the audio from this video. It's a short clip where the speaker is talking about literary criticism and the humanities in colleges and what academia has done to literary criticism and two individuals in literary criticism over the past 30 years. And I want you to listen. And I I mean really listen. Put your thinking caps on and hear what the speaker is saying and how these words could possibly relate to the arts, any arts, TV, movies, music, uh, but especially to comics and comics criticism. And see if you can hear what I always seem to hear in... Uh, these words. This is my, my fifth book, Break, Blow, Burn. It's, um, it, it took me five long years to write. It was like endless. It's a very slim book, but um, I held it back until I thought it, uh, it was absolutely ready for the general audience. It's written for the general audience, which I think that um, 
all works of literary criticism should be. Uh, you, the uh, you know I don't I don't understand what writing on literature is unless um, it's intended to illuminate um, the appreciation of um, of great or obscure literary works. Um, I, I'm not sure what the purpose of literary criticism is um, aside from that. But in the last 30 years, academe uh, uh, in America and Britain has um, certainly lost its way. There was an, um, a slide in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, um, into a, a kind of jargon-ridden way of writing about the humanities. Uh, it, that came from European post-structuralism, Derrida, Lacan, Foucault, and then um, there was the um, post-modernist post uh, style of the 1980s, which um, is, uh, to me, a very cynical, reductive, debunking style that um, I think is a you know kind of a cheap and squalid way to approach the arts, but it became epidemic. There was, uh, and in the end result of it was that um, young graduate students or, or idealistic young graduate students who wanted to uh, wanted a career in um, in the humanities were systematically driven out. When I first burst on the scene in the early 1990s, for example, I got a ton of mail from people uh, all over the country. From, who had a, this experience, I'll just tell you one example that impressed me enormously in the early 90s. A, a woman wrote to me who was now painting um, houses in Missouri, and she said that she had been in the graduate program at, in um, literature at Berkeley, at the, at the great you know, campus of Berkeley, University of California, and that in her graduate seminar, when she would express enthusiasm for a work that they were discussing, the seminar would go dead and they would look at her as if in some way she had broken the code. That, that, that what was being, in fact, finally she dropped out. She dropped out. And she felt, she felt that her, her love of literature, her enjoyment of talking about it, okay, were being poisoned at the source by the, by the imposition of this, of this false cynicism. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. It's a certain style of approaching literary text, very superior, very sanctimonious, and you have kind of a red pen in your hand, um, and, and you, you find all the ways the work is deficient, or, or the way the author is lying in some way, or, or you know, trying to fool, you know, trying to fool the, the reader. So you have your list, you know, sort of like your racism, check, sexism, check, homophobia, check. You know, this may have been useful for a brief moment, okay, for us to notice things in major literature that um, had been covered up or, or had to just been um, uh, not considered important for uh, most of the period when um, there, there had, been, uh, had been a kind of a fragile agreement about what constitutes the canon. But, but, but the, the continuance of this style, this negative style, toward art um, is, is absolutely pernicious. And the proof, the proof of its inefficacy is that in this period, when post-structuralism and post-modernism reigned in academe, um, uh, and, 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 what in, in, you know, and that, that was the way you, you would get hired and promoted and attain tenure. I mean, that's, what, that's why so many people were, it, it became victims of repetition compulsion in, in, um, in spouting this, this rhetoric. But the end result is now, after 30 years, what can we see? The humanities have been 
utterly marginalized on the college campuses. They slowly lost power, prestige, any kind of centrality. The, the, the numbers of majors have, have, have dropped. The, um, you have departments being downsized. Um, classics departments you know, have been just evaporated in, in, in many places. And so the end result is um, a kind of cultural suicide. So what I, so I'm, I've been calling from, for since I came on the scene 16 years ago is um, with, my, with my first book, Sexual Personae, is um, a, a, a you know, clarification of language, a, a, a restoration of common sense to language, and a, um, a, you know, a style whereby the, the, the professor in the humanities learns how to engage the general audience again. Now that was Camille Pagliage, teacher, author, social critic, speaking at the 2006 Collingswood Book Festival. Camille Pagliage has been described as a maverick in intellectual circles because she is who she is. She debunks cynicism in the arts. She's very aware of pop culture and, it, and its impact on society. And what I like about her is she's able to see on a larger scale that is bigger than herself. And she's able to think on that scale rather than try and filter the world by only using the components that make up who she is, a woman, a lesbian, white, etc., right? She thinks beyond that. She thinks in a much more larger way and yet is able to bring along with her, her readers, her students, anybody who wants to give a chance to what she's talking about, right? She's inclusive. And that's what she even talked about at the beginning of, of that audio that I, that I played, right? Listen to her words again. She says she, she, she didn't want to release her book until it was ready for the general audience, which I think all works of literary criticism should be. I don't understand what the writing on literature is unless it's intended to illuminate an appreciation of great or obscure literary works. Uh, she goes on to say, uh, Literary criticism of the past 30 years is jargon-ridden. It's a style which is very cynical, reductive, debunking, that I think is a cheap and squalid way of approaching the arts. And then lastly, she says these people, they approach literary text very superior, very sanctimonious, and you find all the ways the work is deficient, or the way the author is lying in some way, or trying to fool the re reader. What she says, and when I think about all that, and when I think about comics criticism, it really just makes sense to me. And I start to see who the people are that fit this model of what she's talking about, this very negative model, superior, sanctimonious. It's the negativity. It's the exclusive way of talking about comics. It's not being able to illuminate. It's not being able to even get a sense that there is an appreciation of the work sometimes. And I think this is the still point of all of this. This is the still point of time, the center point of all of this. I'm not in opposition to what they say. I believe there might even be a kernel of truth in a lot of uh, what the underlining belief is of the writer. Obviously, to write something passionately takes a passionate reaction to some kind of art or, for, or media or whatever. And this isn't me debunking their skill level as a writer or calling them a bad writer or a bad reader. It's me opposing their execution 
It's me opposing the notion that their message always has to come from a negative spot. And the way they tell it is sometimes even more harmful than the message they're talking about. And again, to go back to the beginning of the episode and, and that tweet that I wrote, it's, it's the idea that I know more about what they don't like than I ever will learn about what they do. And ultimately, while they may think they are on the fringe and they are on the front lines and they are the lone voices, they are the truth, what they really are doing and what they fail to see, which is sad, is just taking the easy way, the lazy way, the loud flag-waving, look how smart I am, look at the big words that I use way that is here today and gone tomorrow. It's why their message the, the inner message, the message that might actually have a point, the truth of their message, which gets lost in all the flourishing, it's why that oftentimes finds obstacles, rarely sticks, and helps to push and shun and segregate comics to a far, far corner, more than any comic itself could, than if they would just turn around and spend all that energy in saying, hey, comics are cool, and these are the ones that I like, and this is why. And you know, this is by no means a complete thought. This isn't a one-episode deal. Uh, I know I'll get reaction to this episode. It's not finished. It'll be an ongoing thing. Not everything was covered, and that which was covered is just scratching the surface. I mean, there's so much more to do and talk about in this big idea about comics criticism. Probably majorly so, this idea that one person speaks for everybody. You know, the, the, again, this is a small notion of this larger topic, but when people take the stance of something like, this comic offends females, and this comic offends gays, and this comic offends, insert your ethnicity here, and this comic offends the religious, you're generalizing. You're really doing exactly what you're railing against. You're stereotyping... You're conforming everyone that you are white knighting for and everyone that you are defending into one homogenous being that has no flavor, no personal ethics, no individuality. You're just as bad as what you're trying to stamp out. And if you really truly want to fight from your personal, fine. Then use I and use the word me. But the minute you start saying us and we, you've failed. You've failed. And to go back what Camille Pali was saying about this checklist, this negativity, this attack approach. I, I absorbed this movie, this comic, this song, this album, because I want to show you why it's bad. I mean, that's not why the creator created it. Not to show their faults. Nobody wants to show their faults. Everybody has a reason for creation and, and why they created and this constant need of, oh, here's the next thing I can slam this creator for, this publisher for, or the next thing I can slam this director and this actor and this movie. And I, I don't get it. I really, I don't see where your enjoyment is. And if that's all you are, is that, if, if that's the only starting point you can come from, 
Why are you even wasting your time? <laughs> go be a carpenter. Or go bake a cake. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I think I specifically said online because in all my travels to various conventions and gatherings, I don't see this kind of criticism in play as a majority or even as a fraction of the minority. I really don't. I think you see it if you're spending your time trying to starfuck creators all the time and trying to get in the business and that's the way you believe you can do it, you know, rub elbows and say, oh, you know, Marvel and DC are shit and oh, let's let's attack all these other creators and oh boy, did you see what they put out in this article or that, you know, oh, ha ha ha, there's such scumbags, here, take my pitch. Yeah, if that's your only agenda, sure, you're going to play that game because it's the easy game, it's the easy in. But as she said in the video, you know, show a little enthusiasm about certain things, whatever it is, show some enthusiasm to some of those people and see if they'll take your pitch and see if they'll treat you seriously. It's really an interesting thing. But the people that I hang around with, people who actually spend money on, on comics and who spend hundreds of dollars when they go to uh, conventions and they want to meet creators, not the jerk-offs behind the computer that get free PDFs from their favorite creator who they know is always going to give them a good review uh, some good marks or, or it's going to actually give them a little bit of space on their website. I mean, what do they bring to the table? What, 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 there's no investment there. There's no risk there. Reviewer X isn't going to give Marvel a bad review because if, God forbid, if they do, they're not going to send them exclusive content anymore. Ooh, exclusive content. Woo. It's so laughable. It really is. And it's so visible. I don't know. I think they think that people don't see it, but but they we see it. We see it. But what I don't see is when I go out to these cons and people are excited and they, they're asking you, what are you reading? Because they want to know, because maybe they might like it. Because they've made a connection with you because of your reviews, what you say you like, what you say you enjoy, and they go, oh, he, that person, that reviewer has the same tastes that I do. I wonder what they're reading because chances are I'll probably like it. No, but instead we're going to waste all our time on negativity and basically say to your readers, don't read this because I don't like it. So you're not going to like it. I, I, uh. So to all those reviewers, and boy, I could name names right now, I, I just think that's lazy and it's not enough and... I believe that we should celebrate and champion and show me what you like rather than giving in one more time into showing me what you don't like. But then again, that's not the easy way to get web hits, is it? <laughs>